Hello everybody, uh, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Today I've got somebody that uh, I met 20 years ago at the Consultants Development Network and also at the Professional Speaking Association. And I did a talk a uh, couple of years ago and Shelley Bridgman gave me a copy of her book and I read it and I went, wow. I thought I'd had a good life and with lots of challenges, but uh, compared with Shelley, I was in division four. Anyway, I'm gonna read you out um, the back of Shelley's book, because I think there's no better way than introducing Shelley with this. Shelley Bridgman is an award-winning stand-up comic, actor, scriptwriter, professional speaker, and a leading psychotherapist, but it wasn't always that way. First, she survived the hedonic 60s with the inevitable round of clubbing, fashion, and drugs. I don't remember that myself. Then she made the most of the 70s, traveling to over 60 countries while running a travel business. And I also know that uh, Shelley traveled on Concord up to 30 times. But it was the 80s that tested her to her limits, battling depression, bankruptcy, addiction, and suicide attempts. Shelley found the strength of comfort to change gender and achieve harmony with herself. A unique story told with delightful dry humour, I can say that again, I was laughing all the way through it, about identity, self-discovery, acceptance and courage. It's also a testament to a profoundly touching love story that's lasted for 40 years. Caroline Lucas, the Brighton MP and the former leader of the Greens said, anyone performing stand-up deserves, deserves respect to do it after overcoming life-threatening illness and overcoming the obstacles in this story, it's truly remarkable. If you need an uplift, read this story. Shelley, welcome to uh, Monday Night Live. Thanks for joining us. I think it'd be great if you could just give us an overview of, uh, of your story. Well, thanks, Derek. I'm, I was thinking about this and nobody wants to just hear me piecemeal going through what I consider to be my wonderful, amazing achievements. <laughs> you've all you've all got your own but I think for me there are sort of key f three four learnings that I thought I'd share really um, because you're all entrepreneurs or you're all people in in uh, the world of uh, entrepreneurship or corporations and just you know I'm interested in red team thinking for example I I'm obsessed by human behavior and how the mind works which is how I first met Andy, and that was God knows how many years ago. But I suppose really for me, what I, I mean, it's quite interesting, Derek and I sounded, we sounded like a couple of old fogies in the snug at the Rovers return, didn't we? We were talking about, I was, I suppose really, if it were today, you'd call it poverty, but none of us really would have said that. You know, I was brought up in a, a rough council estate, I always joke that the, the dogs impose their own curfew. It was so rough, but but it was you know we were all together in it. You know nobody knew any different really. And um, I, I my parents were very fearful. I remember growing up because they'd lost their first child, um, who died. Uh, interestingly, my father was in the army. Died in um, what was called Palestine at the time before Israel was formed. And one of the things that I did was to go and find her grave. I'm the only person that's ever seen the headstone in my family. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because for me, um, you know, our experiences, we don't want to dwell on them, but we can learn so much. And, and 
I believe in systems theory really as well. And I think we have things ingrained in our DNA that we get from our families that are part of who we are. And we can either ignore them or we can find out what was going on and learn from them. And I, I, I do a lot of coaching now. And um, I came, Derek and I were having a laugh about this because I, I always meet the same thing. I'm a psychotherapist as well. And I did that. That was the foremost thing that I did. And people always say to me, oh, yeah, I don't believe in therapy. I don't like looking at the past. Coaching's all about the future. And, and I, I said to somebody one day, well, yeah, that's fine. Even Lewis Hamilton has wing mirrors. You know, we don't, um, we, we can't just, we, we can ignore our past, but we do it um, to our own detriment. And it's not about wallowing in it, but it's about what do we learn from it? And I, I was, because I was um, a very effeminate, little kid you know I was beaten up regularly by the kids in the um, estate that I lived in and I got when I got to my teenage years I learned how to do martial arts because I had to survive I didn't like doing it so we all figure out a way of being and the biggest barrier as we know to um, any success really is fear and we all of us spend an inordinate amount of time wearing a mask of some description. It's ironic, everyone's moaning about wearing masks at the minute, yet 95% of the people I meet are wearing an invisible one for their whole lives anyway. Um, and, they, but, and they never take it off because the big fear is we're not enough or we're too much. And I also hear a lot of gurus banging on about not being enough, but that's only half the story because depending on your upbringing and the circumstances, you can also have a fear of being too much, which is what I had, because who, who I was was not acceptable. So the, the fear was always rejection. Those of us, and it's very common in the West, and you'll see it in your work, the most common is the opposite, which is the narcissistic wound, with people worrying about being enough and all worried that we can see the Rolex watch and we got the BMW with the correct number plate on it because the world is looking at you and you're worried that if you really knew me, you might not think I'm up to it. So I better show you the trappings of success. So that was the background for me, for my childhood years. I also think one of the most painful things for me was obviously struggling. You know, I mean, I, I, I grew up, I didn't even, there was no such word as things like transgender. I didn't even know what the word meant till I was about 20. Um, I just always had a female identity, you know, no such thing. It wasn't in the press. And so I suppressed it, as you do. I had no choice. Well, I did have a choice. Everything's a choice. But that was my way of survival. And then uh, as I, I was always keen on travel. So as Derek alluded to, I ran a travel company. In fact, we were the largest incentive travel company in, in, in Britain at the time. And... Um, just as an aside, the Concord thing came up because I was doing promotional work for Carlsberg. And they said, look, we want a, a blow your socks off promotion. We want to do a free trade incentive. And we want something that people will kill themselves to get on. We can throw some money at it. Anyway, I phoned my contact at British Airways. I was quite surprised how much it would cost for Concord for the day. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So we ran this promotion and the winners got lunch in Denmark. And in, in fact, to go supersonic, you had to go in on a 
a corridor up the North Sea because if you know it took even longer than it would have done on a 737. But unless you felt the kick in the back when you went supersonic, who the hell wants to fly in it? And it was so successful, we did it every two weeks for about six or eight months. So I used to sort of swan along and get on it whenever I could. So it's all very glamorous, but I was disappearing in a haze of alcohol and drugs because I couldn't cope with who I was. And eventually I had a breakdown and it's only when the chips are down that we turn around. So my argument always is, well, why wait until you're cutting your wrists? Why don't you assume that that's what you would do tomorrow if you had no choice? And what would you do? Now, Shelley, you were um, you were married at that time and you had uh, two lovely daughters. Yeah. And um, what did your wife say about that? Well, she wasn't impressed. She was. <laughs> it wasn't what she signed up to. But I didn't. And she had no idea when we met and I kept it quiet because I thought I could suppress it. But eventually it couldn't, you know, and. Um, and, and when I overdosed, she said, well, if it's that bad, why don't you do something about it? So I did. And I think the point is, you know, because I work with I work with suicidal teenagers quite a lot and there's no league table of pain. You have all got your challenges. You've all got your own individual life challenges and they're no more difficult or easy than mine because your challenge is your challenge, whatever it is. And, you know, our upbringings will will influence it. And I think for me, it's it's easy to say, isn't it? Well, why don't you do something about it rather than waiting until you feel so wretched that you've got to turn your life around? But if you can do that and I I live for the day far more than I used to. And I tried everything. I mean, Andy and I met because I was doing one woman shows it well we already met Andy didn't we and you came I did I think it was five or six one woman shows at the end of a festival but I was kind of connected to it really because what happened was I actually got into speaking before comedy my business had gone and um, I went into sales with no salary as you do you know my house was about to be repossessed I thought I know what I'll do I'll get a job that doesn't pay a salary and only pays commission you know I've never been bright so I did, but, and this is my next point, actually, you know, having talked about overcoming the most painful experience. In my, my experience in life, when you get in the arena, good people show up. And right throughout my life, whenever I've done anything and taken a chance and gone for it, somebody has shown up. And I had a, a, a guy called John, who was an amazing salesperson. He, he was a multimillionaire. And he was looking for four people to mentor. And I was one of the four that were chosen. And within three weeks, the other three had given up because he was telling us, you've got, got to be in the office at seven. If you're talking to rear admirals and captains of industry, this is in the days, of course, before mobiles, you, you want to get there before the secretary. I just did everything that he told me to do. And I went from being about three weeks away from repossession to earning more money than I'd ever dreamed of. And I just did what he'd suggested. It's not that hard. But I was desperate. The other three won't. You know, I had to make money. I was going to lose my home. And he was so pleased. He took me to speak in Gateshead at a conference. 
and he I was petrified but he interviewed me and I got a taste for it I thought god I like this standing on a stage and speaking to people this is cool and um and one of the managers said look you need to do learn to do presentations I said I can't I can't speak to people I've never spoken to more than one person at a time anyway I joined the Toastmasters club and um within a few weeks there was a humorous speech competition and I ended up being runner-up in the Great Britain after dinner speaking contest and one of the judges said that was really funny you should try stand up and I thought god that's a challenge I have a go and I ended up um doing about five shows and um got very drunk with Andy Gilbert several times in in Edinburgh and, and in fact the last one I took to, I did a week's run off Broadway in New York and I thought wow this is it this is my new career but it didn't quite happen and um I learned the art of resilience and the difference between resilience and persistence is if something's not working do it differently you know persistence is banging your head against the same door without looking for the key and I think what I realized was that I was never destined to be a top comic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm funny enough, I was watching an old clip of Tommy Cooper's the other day. I mean, a man was a genius. Yeah, I, I, I could never do that, but it made me a better speaker. Because if you can stand up in front of 300 drunks on a Friday night, stag do, you can survive speaking at a conference. So connection is the, was the second one for me. And um, I won't go into it too much now, but I also, I want to, uh, uh, as Andy, you were probably going to bring it up, Derek, but I, I took on the UK government and won a case in the European Court of Justice, and it took 11 years. And um, I had the, probably the best barrister in Europe working pro bono for me. And wow. he showed up. He just showed up because could see that I was fighting something and he seemed to believe in it. He's a human rights lawyer and he, and he turned up. So what were you fighting there, Shelley? Well, I, I, um, to go back to, I, 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 I married this crazy woman called uh, Mary and we, we had two children and um, I wanted to get legal status eventually as a female, but I would have had to have annulled my marriage. And I thought, I'm not doing that. I've got two amazing daughters. I didn't feel it. I should have to do that for anybody. And I lost five different cases in the UK before getting referred. I went to the Supreme Court and then we went to the European Court of Justice. And um, each one of those stages takes about a year, 18 months. And I had these, this amazing legal team working for me. I mean, it was very humbling. and. And I think it's that thing about if pe people see you're fighting for something and if they believe in it, they come on board. So, so anyway, we won the case and um, I, I, I didn't have to um, annul my marriage and carried on. I've got two daughters as well. It would have been a bit of a slap in the teeth to them. And I've got two grandchildren now. So there was no and way. You're still, and you're still married to Mary? we're still married yeah i mean it's not a marriage in the conventional sense but we're, we we realized we were best friends fantastic congratulations so, That's great. so we, we we stayed together i mean she's probably more insane than me but um but it is a a, a different relationship clearly and you must have been uh, you must be a better negotiator than me if you managed to get all that legal legal uh, advice and well you know what happened i, no I mean the, the the what 
the, 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 the best thing really was that um, I found this pro bono lawyer firstly, and then the, and the, the superstar joined when we were at the court of appeal stage and a couple of solicitors came on. And, um, and we were at Luxembourg airport coming back. We didn't get the decision on the day. It took a year because there were 17 judges and they have to, they have to all agree. So it took quite some time. And then it went back to the Supreme Court, which, by the way, is quite interesting. You know, with Brexit, the argument was about taking back control. But all that happened was there was an opinion from the European Court that went back to the Supreme Court. It was still the Supreme Court that made the decision. So the notion that we'd given up all power was actually false. It's not actually true. And... Um, and the one thing I'll, I'll blow my trumpet about, I said to Kerry, we were at Luxembourg Airport, and I said, look, without you, she was a junior barrister. She was, she'd taken silk by the time we got to this, gone on for so long. She was a QC as well. And I said to her, look, you know, without you, we, this wouldn't have got off the ground. What made you stick with it? And she said, well, I think it was about the third time I met you. I looked in your eyes. I knew you'd never quit. Mm. And I knew this would be a long haul. And, um, and I think that's probably the one thing I inherited from my father. There's a lot of stuff I got from him that I'm not so positive about. But that for me was, um, and, and it was a good learning really for business as well and for, well, for life really. But there is that subtle difference with persistence and resilience. And, and I think it's important to know when it's time to give up on something or try it differently. And move across. I made that mistake with my business. I, I ended up, I went down for, I think I had a personal guarantee for nearly £200,000. And that was in 1990. It was quite a lot of money then. Doesn't sound so much if you say it quickly. And, um, and I wouldn't, had I let go a few weeks earlier, it would have been a lot less. But hindsight's easy. And as my partner said, well, at least, you know, you gave it everything. And you, wow. you can never turn around and say, well, I didn't give it my best shot, but um, I'm not. Did, did you pay the Did you pay the bank back that, or did you well, uh, I, I, well, negotiate a deal with them? No, actually, Derek, you'll be proud of me. I negotiated the two hundred down to one hundred and ten, uh, and but they knew, you know, they didn't want to. They don't really like taking houses, and I had equity. That was the, you know, so they could have taken my house if 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 it had actually come to that. So I remortgaged and um, and paid them off. And, and that was the end of it. Wow, that's a lot of money to pay off and live. But that's when you were working for um, Allied Dunbar, I think you said, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I, it, you know, it, it's if you're in sales and, and, you know, and you're not earning a salary because you're on commission, it's tough. But you can write your own check, essentially. Mm. No, uh, absolutely. If you, if you pull your finger out. And, and I learned, you know, I spent a lot of time learning it. And John, in fact, was so pleased. The reason, part of the reason I became a psychotherapist was he, um, he was so pleased with me. He bought, he bought me as a gift a, a weekend for Tony Robbins' UPW the first time he came to Britain in 1990. And, um, and I just got fired up with trying to learn more about it. I mean, most of you know who he is, and he, he's a sort of glorified NLP practitioner, really, but he's very good at what he does. And... Um, and I, I, I became very interested in it. And I, I got a, a master's in psychotherapy before I moved on to do coaching. How did you find the time to do all this? That's the thing I'm curious about. 
You don't well, need to sleep. Well, it, I mean, I didn't do it all at the same time. No, I know, but so, even so, there's a huge amount of things you've done here. Huge. Yeah, but, but, but and, and perhaps I've been guilty of being Jill of all trades, mistress of none, you know, mm. at times. But I know where I'm at now, and I, I love working um, with, um, with people as a coach. And the other, I mentioned the um, Lewis Hamilton with wing mirrors. And what happened actually, I've started, I, I, I'm, I'm coaching a couple of sports people, you know, psychology wise. And um, I got, it was a chance introduction to a young athlete. She's 17. And um, they, they got great hopes that she'll run for GB in the Olympics in four years' time. And she was um, starting slowly. She's got a lot of raw speed, was a 100 meter sprinter. And um, her coach remarked to somebody I know, I don't know what's going on with her. But I just can't, I've tried everything, can't get her to start properly. So they recommended that I speak with her. And we had a couple of sessions and I do hypnosis. And it's really interesting because it turned out and she'd forgotten about it at a conscious level. But when she was about seven years old, she was doing an egg and spoon race. And she was so anxious to please her dad who was in, you know, standing at the side that she ran off too quickly and dropped the egg about three times and lost. And she remembered seeing him walk off in disgust. Wow. And that was, that was in the back of her head when she was, as an adult, sitting down, splinting. And within a month, she knocked 0.6 off her best 100 metre time, which is a huge amount for, at that level. Let's um, not take back for a minute, because you told me the first uh, stand-up you did was with Jimmy Carr. Well, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Carr and I did a course together. Oh. And um, he's done a little bit better at it than me. But <laughs> I, the way, last couple of weeks, he's in danger of sabotaging his own career. But, um, yeah, he was, um, he was interesting, actually. The reason he did well is because he was super confident. He had no more ability than anybody else. He worked hard. He was doing two gigs a night every night and he just thought he was the best and in that business you have to believe that you're really good at it otherwise you just get eaten and you said you were the first trans person to um to play the edinburgh fringe i think yeah i mean i, I tend to be the first something or other for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind it's, it's a, a bit of a poison chalice yeah they made a big play of that but no, I I've realized. never been, I've got to ask you, I've never been good at put downs, but you must have had to handle some of those, uh, some of those wags. You know, the, I, the funniest one I ever had, really, funny enough, as Andy would testify, anybody, you tend not to get it, really, apart from the late night shows, you know, at one o'clock in the morning. But when you're doing an hour show, you tend not to be. But the first time I did the comedy store, I don't know if any of you have been there in London, but um, you come out of what they call the green room, which is really a toilet at the back of the stage. It sounds better if you call it the green room. And, and you come through a door, having been an, in, announced by the MC, and you walk to the microphone, which is a good few steps away. So it goes a bit quiet. And as I approach the microphone, a voice from the back yelled, I can't repeat exactly what they said, but yelled out, let's say, flip off your rubbish. And uh, <laughs> I, I, so... I suppose just instinctively, I thought, well, hang on a minute, I haven't said anything yet. So they all know that he's being too aggressive. So don't don't panic. 
And I just looked down at the front row and I said, um, I do apologize, my beautician's in tonight. And, and they laughed. And, and, and what I really want to hear, if, if you see comedy regularly, is that you can handle it. You don't have to, you don't, the put down doesn't have to be particularly funny. It's, it's good if it is, but they need to know that you're not going to die up there because that's why they call it dying on stage. And they'll get you off, they'll boo you off because they can't stand the pain of watching you fall to pieces up there. And, um, and, and that's the, the key to it, really. I, I mean, if you can be funny as well, then all the better. Um, but it doesn't happen as much as people think it does. But there are certain late night shows where it does. And I remember doing Jonglers in Battersea with about 300 people in there. And there were two stag nights and two hen nights. I mean, it was mayhem. And um, everyone was struggling to, to be heard. But again, I think it was all about this will make me better as a speaker. So I firmly believe that all my experiences really have made me better at doing what I do, whatever that might be. So I'd be interested in hearing from some of you on that. But I think for me, that's the key. Whatever's happened, I don't care how bad you think it was, there's some learning in there and there's some sense of purpose with whatever you've gone through. You know, people have children dying on them and, 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 and you know, terrible disabilities. And you look at them and you think, my God, what did you do to hack somebody off? But behind that is always the, the learning. There's always the, the, the why that you get from doing from something like that. Absolutely. And I, I, I firmly believe that that's, for all of us, a real key to our learning. Any questions, go in the chat box to, uh, for Shelley, please. Short, sharp and specific. A um, couple of things I wanted to comment on. I don't remember. I, I think some of us that are baby boomers don't really remember how poor we were. And I remember uh, talking to you. We were talking a couple of weeks ago and I know the uh, North Alt estate where you were. A friend of mine lived there. And I thought that was really upmarket compared with where I lived in Kensington. Oh, really? So I was I was surprised. Of course, I didn't know about the uh, bullying and my car didn't get wrecked while it was parked outside uh, Rushdean Crescent. But yeah, so that was uh, that was uh, really interesting. Shelley, do you, do you regret anything in your life? Um, funny enough, Sonny was talking about that on the radio this morning, weren't they? And there was an interview with her. Uh, I don't really. I mean, I'm sure I would do things differently, as we all would. But I, I think everything's happened for a reason. So I don't really regret it. I wish I'd learned a few lessons quicker. And I wish I'd lived for the day a bit more earlier, rather than waiting until I was older. That's the key for me. And interestingly, when I'm working with people, even, even as a therapist, I'm in the here and now. I'm not, I'm not just raking over. I, I want to know what you're feeling now about something that happened before. Yeah, and you took, you, took up, you took up boxing. That seemed to solve some of the uh, bullying. I didn't have any choice because at 11, you had to. And, um, and, and, and I found I was quite good because I had quick feet. So I was able to avoid being hit more than anything. But, um, but I, I, did, I did become a county champion. And, um, and the county, of course, was Middlesex. You couldn't make that up. So 
it seemed kind of poetic, but I hated it. I mean, I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. I had to do it. But um, but because I was quite good at it, the bullying stopped. Excellent. Excellent. So that was the, the the plus. But I didn't pursue it because I didn't want to do it. Now, of course, you've got women killing themselves to become boxers. I can never understand that. But um, but you know, you've got people like Katie Taylor in Ireland who have kind of totally transformed the whole sport for women, which is phenomenal. Mm. Well, Nigel Kirby used to go to swimming at North Holt swimming pool as a child, catching the 140 bus from Arrow. Oh, I remember I, the one. I have to tell you, who was that, sorry? Nigel, Nigel Kirby from University of Essex. Oh, there you are, Nigel. Well, I have to tell you, I, I went hitchhiking when I was 21 and to save up some money, I worked as a um, uh, um, a pool attendant in the North Holt pool. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bit before you, though, so we wouldn't have met. But, you know, I, I had a lot of luck in my early days. You just reminded me of the swimming bath because I'm one of the few people who caught polio without having long term effects. Oh, wow. I caught it in the same swimming pool as um, Ian Drury from Ian Drury and the Blockheads and uh, from Ealing Swimming Baths. So I was very, very lucky. So, you know, gods have shined on me a lot, really. That was very fortuitous. I, I was in a class full of kids with leg calipers and, um, you know, braces on their arms. So I'm very, very lucky. People forget how, how those diseases have been eradicated. Yeah. I can't say it by... Um, yeah. by, by um, We're getting to vaccinations if you're not careful. Yeah, that. I know. I was just going to skip through that before we get into big, <laughs> before we get into big trouble. Before I wrap up... Before I, I, I think, Derek, before you throw it open, I just, you know, I mean, I, I've lived an unusual life, but I don't suppose it's any more extraordinary than any of yours. I think it's just about how we learn from the things that happen and what we do and what, what opportunities we take. I mean, I could have not volunteered to be mentored by that guy. Mm. I could have not fought the court case, you know, and I, I may well have lost but it's about choosing our battles and deciding what's important for us. And when we do, you know, uh, uh, it seems to me that things open up. And even if we go down a, a, a path that seems difficult or wrong, another door opens. Mm. And, and that's certainly been my experience. That's fantastic. And I know you do a great job. Uh, coaching and mentoring people that went through the same issues that you went through and to be children yeah I, I work with teen, teenagers and children I don't I don't actually and I never advertise it because I don't want any more clients than I've got but but I tend to work with teenagers who are struggling and and my um I suppose the expertise if I've got any is knowing how to stay present with somebody who's suicidal hmm and um, and it's it, it's like anything else. There's a way of doing it, and you have a very different conversation with somebody standing on a bridge to one that you have with somebody who's sitting in a, an office the other side of a table with you, telling you that they're feeling unwell. Mm. And um, and I and I think what we have to do for you for those of you who are I don't know we got any B core people here. But anyway, you know, if you're running industries or businesses with a lot of people in, 
people want to know that you can hold the space. And I think what I learned to do with young people was to let them know that they figure out quite quickly that I'm not going to fall to pieces. And it's that old maxim. There's a wonderful quote by um, a Red Indian woman called Araya Mountain Dreamer. Great name. And, and her quote was, I don't want you to fix me, but I need to know you can be in the fire with me without shrinking back. That's and, a fantastic quote. Absolutely. Yeah. And fantastic. it's very powerful if you think about it. Mm. And that's the first thing, you know, can you hold this space? Can I, can I talk to you about this? Or are you going to start shrinking away and avoiding it? And that wouldn't have happened had I not had my life experience. So, you know, there you go. How do you build that trust by telling them your story or no, 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 I never do that. I never no. do that. But they need to, they just need to know it's more of an atmosphere. They need to know that you're a safe pair of hands. Mm. You know, can I trust this person? And one of the things that they'll do, I'll use a bit of jargon, but you get a lot of board. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase borderline personality disorder. I don't know whether. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and, and, and what happens is if somebody is fearful of rejection, they will test you. And, and, and if they want to know that you can be with them with something like that, they want to check you out. So they'll find different ways of testing you. One of the things somebody will do, for example, is five minutes before the end of a session, say, by the way, um, I've just bought you know, four dozen sleeping pills. I'm going to take an overdose this afternoon. And if you say to them, um, okay, well, we'll carry on a bit longer. You're in trouble. Then if you, with five minutes to go, say, well, look, it's interesting you're telling me this right now, but we have to finish in five minutes. But I want to arrange to talk to you again. Then they'll go, but you can't. This is really important. You've got to do it now. Now, if I relent and we run over, the chances are I'll never see them again. Because what I've just illustrated is, is I can be manipulated and uh, I'll panic and I won't hold the space. And if I say, look, this is really important. I want to give it the right time and we'll fix another time. We'll maybe try and talk tomorrow. You're OK. They'd be angry and they'll swear at you, but they might come back. So you've got to be able to, you know, hold that and know that that's the situation. I would suggest it's the same if you're running businesses. Some of you people are running businesses, right? And you've got employees. You know, they want to know they've got a job next month. They don't want you to win a, a popularity contest. They don't want to know that you, um, that you um, act as a, a, a stand-in lollipop person to see the kids across the road once a week. They're not interested in that. They want to know, are you there for them? Are you building a business that they can be part of? And are you strong? That's what they want to know. Absolutely. Well, Shelley, we've uh, really come to the end of this uh, session. I think we could go on for a long time. I'd uh, love you to come back again sometime and share some more of the stories. But I was just musing, really, that uh, you are a fantastic negotiator, negotiating uh, with banks, negotiating with people that are about to... Um, do some something well, really the biggest insight from that Gary I couldn't afford any more mm. so it wasn't a case of being able to be manipulated by them I literally was this is it that's what you can have or or, or take the house you know 
Sure, sure. Well, that's good. That's good to show them the walk away position. Put your cards on the table. Fantastic. And yeah. the alternative is you'll get nothing. Um, but I was just thinking of negotiating with that person with 40 sleeping pills or standing on a bridge or or things like that, too, that you clearly do. The police have to do it. I hope they're trained as well as you are yeah. when they do it. But um, Shelley, how do people get in touch with you watching this on YouTube or listening to this on my podcast channel? Um in case they need a well, chat. I'm on, on LinkedIn, like most people, Shelley Bridgman, and my website is shellybridgman.com. So I'm, uh, I, tend to, I, I tend to do most of my social media on LinkedIn. Okay, well, Shelley Bridgman, thanks for joining us. Will you stay on and answer a few more questions yeah, be from, happy. from the audience? Thank you very much indeed for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing everybody next week. Uh, if you're listening to this on, uh, on the podcast channel or on, uh, on uh, YouTube, uh, please like it and uh, contact Shelley or myself if you need any help. Could you give Shelley the usual round of applause from Monday Night Live, please? Great job, Shelley. Thank you. <laughs>